Welcome to the Grow Your Business and Grow Your Wealth podcast with Gary Helt. Gary is an expert in helping business owners put together a plan that will provide a better future for their businesses, themselves, and their families. On the podcast, Gary interviews other professionals who share his vision, and together they share secrets and strategies any business owner can use to build a better financial foundation for your business and your life. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, our guest is Eric Steiner with Steiner Law Group, LLC. He is the managing member. Welcome, Eric. Hi, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So tell us, why, why is it that you decided to focus a career in, uh, in law? So law is one of those um, careers that makes a dramatic impact on people's lives. And really, I started to realize the impact that I can make, the positive impact that I can make in people's lives when I went out on my own in 2014. Before then, I was working for various law firms. I represented banks and I represented institutional clients, insurance companies, and there's really no face to a client like that. But when I sit down with a client and talk about their, their wages are being garnished or their house is going to be foreclosed or their business is, has just been crushed by COVID, I immediately realized the positive impact that I can have in their life. And it's that personal connection and that ability to use law as a tool to really help people that drives me today. And it's why I'm passionate about law. I'm also, I love writing. I love the research and the fighting I don't like so much, but if I have to fight, I have to fight. And ultimately I know that, um, I'm very careful about what battles I choose because I want to only fight the battles that I have a good chance of winning. Right. So you've gone out on your own and, and now you're, you're specializing in bankruptcy. What in your, your past experience has really given you um, the tools to do that and really kind of pushed you to doing that? You know, I know you say that you like helping people, but what, what kind of got you going there? That's a great question. So I um, started law school in 2004 and um, I took, I signed up for a bankruptcy class and my professor told me, well, if you haven't taken this other course of mine, you just take that other course. So I actually transferred out of the bankruptcy course, took the other course. I never ended up taking bankruptcy. I never thought I'd be practicing bankruptcy, believe it or not. Um, I did some, I did commercial collections for a large bank so that looks like is uh, the bank makes a loan to a business and I am the lawyer that's dragging the owners of business to the court, asking them about all their assets to see what I can take. You know, I was, I was sort of the, on the dark side uh, at, right. at that point in my career. And then, at the end, you know, when I came home at night, I just looked at, I looked at the work as just a job. As I, as I mentioned before, I was just representing this faceless bank. There was no personal connection. I didn't really have any passion. When I went out on my own and I started to see the impact I could have, that completely changed. So I went out on my own in about 2014. I kind of took whatever came in the door because I had a lot of different experience in different areas of the law. And I found that with bankruptcy, I really enjoyed the work and I, and I was able to really help people relatively quickly. I mean, when, when someone files a bankruptcy with the court, 
all collections stop automatically. It's called the automatic stay. And, and that can happen as soon as um, a week after I meet with that client, if we can get the case done in a week and we can get that protection right away and we can stop a garnishment and we can stop the collections and everything like that. We can get their bank accounts unfrozen. We can stop a foreclosure sale. We can help them keep their house. And, you know, seeing that impact that it has and also bankruptcy is one of those areas that is constantly challenging. There's always new things to learn. There's always new nuances that I that I learn from my colleagues and and just uh, when I'm faced with an issue that I haven't been faced before, that's and bankruptcy is one of those areas that there's there's just so much to learn. So I'm constantly challenging myself. I'm constantly learning new ways and how I can be more effective to my clients. I also something that's very important to me is making sure that I communicate very effectively with my clients. That's that can be very difficult. I may have a client that understands the difference between a whole life insurance policy and a term life insurance policy, but I'll tell you, most of the, most of my clients don't understand it. And, and it's my job to explain the difference and to explain why we need to see that and how all these pieces fit together. So I, I really found myself in that position to, to challenge myself and at the same time help people. So it sounds like with with bankruptcy that at least to get started can be very quick and you can give relief to to your clients pretty quick with this. Um, what are some of the mistakes that the clients make when they come in and they talk to you about wanting to, to go the route of bankruptcy? So many, many people view bankruptcy as a last resort and and to their, often to their detriment, unfortunately. Um, there's some, some examples that I see very frequently. In fact, yesterday I was, I was, on, a, I was in, on a virtual court hearing. And my, before my client came to me, she went to a debt consolidation company. She spent $6,000 on this debt consolidation company that didn't do what they promised to do for her. And she had lawsuits against her despite the fact that this company promised to help her deal with the creditors. She paid me less than that $6,000 and we, we filed a bankruptcy. We got her into a payment plan of $105, $110 a month for a little over three years and that's it. And then she has about $25,000 of debt. The rest of it's gonna go away at the end of this really easy payment plan. Um, so, that's something I see, unfortunately, very often. People try to go to a credit repair or a debt consolidation, and those outfits, um, they tend to be less reputable than a court-overseeing process, right? like that, that bankruptcy is. The second thing is that, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've seen that. People cash out their retirement before they decide to file bankruptcy. So they're faced with, a lawsuit for a credit card, let's say it's a $15,000 lawsuit. They'll cash out their retirement and they'll use that money to pay off a credit card. That has so many negative impacts. First of all, in bankruptcy, retirement accounts are generally completely protected. Creditors cannot touch them. Right. And the second thing is they're going to owe a, a massive tax penalty by taking an early withdrawal from that account. And they're using, they're using it to pay off credit card debt, which in bankruptcy falls all the way at the bottom of the priority scale, 
which doesn't have to get paid anything in bankruptcy. So people think of bankruptcy as his last resort, as giving up, as shirking your responsibilities, but nothing can be further from the truth when it comes to that because all these other things that they're, that, that they're trying to do before they come to me that they think is are better options are actually hurting them um, both in the short term and certainly in the long run. So there's um, different types of bankruptcy. Can you kind of tell us what they are? Absolutely. So there's three main chapters that we that we uh, that we see. Chapter seven. Chapter seven is a is called the liquidation chapter. It's a quick process generally, depending on the complexity of the case. But if it's a routine case, it's about let's say six to nine months with COVID so things are taking a little longer. And in a personal chapter seven, so if it's a consumer, it's a family, it's an individual that needs to file chapter seven, they can eliminate um, credit card debts, medical bills, other what we call unsecured debt, sometimes even tax debt. And they don't have to make any payments but there are many limitations to doing a chapter seven. Chapter seven is called the liquidation chapter. So we have to make sure that we can protect all of our clients' property in chapter seven. So what happens is the court appoints a trustee. The trustee's job, chapter seven trustee, is to go through the paperwork and see what can I get? You know, can I, can I take their car? Can I take their house? Can I take their bank accounts? And my job is to advise my clients on, well, this is how we protect this asset. This is how we protect this asset. This is why a trustee won't be interested in this asset. This is how we can strategize to position yourself so you're in a better position for a trustee to be less interested in this asset. Um, and it, so the, the classic example of a chapter seven, somebody is not a high earner. Let's say they're a, they're a family, um, they have two kids and between the, the husband, and, uh, husband and wife, they earn, let's say $100,000 a year. They have say, even $75,000 of credit card debt. And they have no equity in their house. They have two cars with loans on them, not much in their bank account. And let's say they have a 401k. All of that could be protected in the chapter seven. That would be a perfect example of, of a chapter seven. Chapter 13, however, is where the client does make payments over the course of three to five years. And there's many advantages to chapter 13 that are not available in chapter seven. Uh, chapter 13 has uh, more ability to restructure debt. So what that means is, let's take a car loan. They can lower the principal, they can lower the interest rate and they can extend the term. What that translates into is a, it could be a much lower monthly payment. Mm -hmm. um, somebody has no equity in their house and they have more after their mortgage and they have all these other liens, tax liens, uh, judgment liens, HOA liens. We can get rid of all of those. I did a case where they had 10 different liens from their HOA because my client didn't pay the HOA for their homeowners association dues and the homeowners association can place liens. And they literally placed seven statutory liens and they filed three lawsuits. So they had 10. They, they actually scheduled a sheriff's sale. They wanted to sell this, my client's house. I got rid of all 10 liens, stopped the sheriff's sale. And I think my client maybe paid, I think it was like 250 a month for, for, I think it was five years or something like that. So that's where, that's where chapter 13 is very powerful. It has different ability to restructure debt. 
Also, um, if, if a client has valuable assets that can't be protected in the seven, a 13 could be a good option. The final option is chapter 11. Chapter 11 is used for um, typically if chapter 13 has certain debt limits. So you have to have below a certain amount of debt in order to file chapter 13 or above those debt limits. You can look into a chapter 11. It's the most complex chapter. There is no trustee appointed. The debtor is called a debtor of possession. They manage their own financial affairs. They have to have a separate bank account. Um, United States trustee is directly involved. These are much more complex and therefore expensive cases. They're also used by businesses who want to restructure debt. They can file under chapter 11. So what are some of the things that um, cannot be discharged under bankruptcy? So that's a great question. The most common, the most, the, the, the number one thing that can't be discharged are child support alimony. Can't get rid of that. You can't get rid of certain kinds of taxes. Um, there's a three-part test to determine whether the taxes can be eliminated in bankruptcy. You can't get rid of, uh, unless certain, certain conditions are met, you generally cannot get rid of a lien. So for example, if a client has a car loan, um, there's always two components to what we call secure debt. There's a note and there's an instrument that secures the, pro the property as collateral. The note says that if the client gets sued, then the, I mean, if the client falls, gets in default, they don't pay their car loan, the car lender can then sue them personally, try to garnish their wages, bank accounts, all that stuff. That's called personal liability. Then there's the security instrument, which um, allows the lender to repossess the car. Same thing for a house. So there's a note and it's called a deed of trust. Note means we can sue the people, the homeowners personally. Deed of trust gives, gives the lender permission to foreclose. So in bankruptcy, let's say it's chapter seven, and a car, you'll get rid of the personal liability, but the lien will still survive. So practically what that usually means is, as long as the client keeps paying on the car, they'll be completely fine, no issues. If they, if they stop paying on the car after bankruptcy, the lender can just repossess. They won't be able to sue them personally to try to get their wages. So, that's, so those liens will survive bankruptcy. Um, something we don't see very often, but we see from time to time is, uh, if a debt wasn't was incurred through fraud. So for example, if someone lied on a loan application and said they make much more money or have less set than they did, that could be a basis to object to what's called a discharge. Discharge is a court order that eliminates certain kinds of debts. And there are bases for particular kinds of claims or lenders to object to the discharge. So fraud, anything like that. Um, if the certain kinds of injuries if um, somebody was criminally charged, criminal fines, things like that, they, those may not be discharged. And often uh, easy pass fines, toll booth violations, parking tickets, those are much more tricky to get rid of. Yeah. So one of the things I key on obviously, you know, because we do a lot of tax work with, with clients and stuff, and you, know, you brought up earlier about you know, your, your client that worked with the debt consolidation company and they had her cash in her 401k and then have to have to, um, then she has the taxes now that she's got to worry about. 
Um, so I know that that's something that, that we constantly run into where people want to, oh, here, let me just take out of my 401k, pay this off, but then they don't realize, well, now you got to pay tax. If you're under 59 and a half, you got to pay the penalty on it. So, you know, that, that, you know, always seems to kind of come back and bite them in the butt. And then they're in this vicious circle. And based on what you're saying is typically the taxes aren't discharged in, uh, in bankruptcy. So in that situation, they're much better off just keeping that credit card debt going through the bankruptcy instead of, you know, doing the 401k. Um, Absolutely. Oh, sorry. So, so besides the 401k, what are other assets that typically in bankruptcy, and I know there's different rules for everything, but typically are items that that will not be forced to be sold or uh, liquidated? That's a great question. Um, any asset like a car that has a loan, the for purposes of the bankruptcy world, the bankruptcy trustee would only be interested in any equity in that in that asset. Okay. So most of the time cars are underwater. If there's a little bit of equity, there are about $11,000 of exemptions we can use that pretty much apply to, to most property. Just blanket. That's one filer, two filers, you get 22,000 stubble. There's also various other exemptions we can use to protect different kinds of property. So most often um, we were able to protect all the property. Sometimes we can't. In fact, uh, another very important exemption, which people, which is actually a very nuanced thing a lot of people don't understand is when a, when a couple buys a house together, they, it's, titled, it's often titled in a very specific kind of way called tenancy by the entirety. That is, uh, protects any equity in the house against individual creditors or either spouse. So let's say husband has $100,000 of debt in his name only. If, they if, they have, if the husband and the wife has nothing, if, the, if they own the house, they can have no lien on the house. They own it as tenancy by the entirety. Without, and I've done this before. We can file a chapter seven for the one spouse and get rid of all that debt. Right. Protect the house. That's a massive, massive protection. Um, I just had a phone call with a client last week where, and I've seen this happen, unfortunately, several times. Um, the house was tenancy by the entirety, so it's completely protected from individual creditors. They went to a lawyer in 2000 and actually decided to transfer the house into two trusts that they had created. The wife had created a trust, the husband had created a trust. They transferred the house 50-50 into the trust completely. And, and this was something that I actually had to consult with um, several colleagues with. Every time I'm faced with a trust issue, I'm certainly not a, uh, an estate to trust expert, so I right. want to make sure I understand this. And the consensus that I reached was they completely breached, they, they got rid of that special protection there. Yeah. By transferring to these useless trusts, these revocable trusts, which means they're not, that they don't offer protection from creditors. So there was no, there were, uh, maybe there were some tax benefits. Again, I'm not an estate to trust lawyer, but I don't see any benefits. Oh, <laughs> right. Right. So, and, I mean, and, that, that's, a, that's a great example of why somebody needs to use a professional like you when, when trying to go through this. What are some of the, um, 
some of the the fears that your clients have coming in the door to talk to you um, that, you know, again, not using a professional like you, are they not going to be able to alleviate? I will tell you, Eddie, uh, all the, one of the most common questions I'm asked, I read online that chapter seven is liquidation. I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to lose my cars or, or I don't want to do chapter 13. I only want to do chapter seven. And, um, or, or I can do a chapter seven myself, you know, and then <laughs> those are three of the most common thing, questions that I hear. And particularly with the, the risk of a chapter seven of losing property, mm-hmm. for example, with that trust example, um, if the clients would have filed their own bankruptcy, they, they most likely would have lost their house, the house that they've been living in in their entire lives. Right. That is something that requires careful consideration. And in fact, anybody that goes into a bankruptcy has to realize that all your assets are subject to being taken by a trustee. So if somebody wants to take that risk, they're certainly, they're certainly entitled to do that, but it is such a risk if they have, let's say they have, and also there's criminal, um, there can be criminal liability for failure to list assets. You're defrauding your creditors. Everything in bankruptcy is signed under, under the penalties of perjury that it's accurate and true. The, um, there's a meeting of creditors where the trustee will ask um, the debtor or clients questions under oath. They're sworn in under oath. This is under the penalties of perjury. And the United States trustee, which essentially oversees um, bankruptcies, they, they will prosecute criminal, um, criminal people who are filing for bankruptcy and lying and defrauding their creditors. And this stuff does happen. Uh, I have not seen it happen in any one of my cases, not that way. Because we're very thorough, you know, we're, we'll take our time with it. And, and, you know, thankfully we've done um, a lot of these cases and I know exactly what the trustees are going to ask. Mm-hmm. So I use that to inform how I advise my clients. Um, also, so I'm, can I keep my car? Can I keep my house? Most of the time in a chapter seven, most of the time, yes. And if you can't, we'll advise you on whether a chapter 13 can do that. Right. I want to file under chapter seven. I don't want to do a 13. Well, did you realize that actually chapter 13 has certain advantages? You can, you can change your car monthly payment, you can get rid of this lien. You can pay back your taxes over five years. You know, you can do all this other stuff. And in fact, you know, we will try to restructure uh, in chapter 13 plans where let's say that general unsecured stuff, the credit card debt, the medical debt, that's low, low priority. I'll always try to pay them nothing and pay and pay only the debts that have to be paid back. Sometimes we can't do that, but that's that's how I'll go into it at 13. Um, I want to do a seven. Oh, but you earn $200,000 a year and you're not married. You don't have any kids. You can't do a seven. You got to do a 13, you know, um, things like that. Or, or I really want to do a 13 because I want to restructure my card. Well, unfortunately, you know, based on the budget, you can't afford a 13. You're better off in a seven, things like that. Right. So another thing to consider is once, a chapter seven case is filed, it cannot be voluntarily, voluntarily dismissed by the, by the debtor, the person who files the case. That's something that's, you have to be very careful because once you're in it, 
a trustee's appointed, all your assets are now part of this bankruptcy estate. The trustee can take stuff from the bankruptcy estate. You gotta be really careful. 13, you can voluntarily dismiss. You have that right. Right. So um, you doing the, the dark side of things in the past and, and, and uh, the, the collection side, I'm sure has really helped you understand this so much. Um, I always look at it. Um, I know when we do taxes and we do um, help people with college financial planning and things like that, I kind of took everything and worked from, from the front back type thing, just kind of like you've done with, with the creditors and stuff like, or with being, being the creditor and working your way back. So you do a lot of education, just like we do. Um, and you do it to tax groups and other attorneys and things like that. What are some of the most important things um, that people should know? Um, and are there places that just the, um, you know, my clients, our listeners, whoever can come hear you talk about bankruptcy and stuff like that? Is there a forum or, or do you have a place on your website or anything else like that that they can go to? There is. Um, so like you said, I, I, I do talk fairly regularly for different organizations. Um, and usually that'll be on our website under the events section of our website, upcoming webinars. Obviously everything these days is a webinar. Um, so some of the webinars that I did recently is um, last week I spoke on, I'm a council member of the Maryland State Bar Association's Consumer Bankruptcy Section. Okay. We had a, uh, the, the MSBA had a legal excellence week uh, with various different seminars. And the topic that I spoke on was a very novel topic of what we call uh, force majeure and business interruption claims in bankruptcy and how uh, these, these insurance claims essentially for businesses, they have insurance so that if the business stops, the insurance company should, should pay them something you know, that's actually an asset of the bankruptcy estate. So how does that come into play? What are some of, some of the issues that are happening around the country? I also give uh, webinars on the basics of consumer bankruptcy, business bankruptcy, and things like that. The new subchapter five, which is uh, streamlined chapter 11 to make it uh, more, um, less complicated and hopefully less costly, things like that. So the Maryland Society of Accounting Tax Professionals is, is another one and, and, um, you know, I'm always, I'm working on several in the next couple of months as well. Great. What, um, I guess, tell us, what, what does your ideal client look like? Honestly, the, the, uh, it's a, that's an excellent question. And the answer I think changes over time, mm -hmm. but the ideal client is, is one who is willing to receive help. It's, it's really as simple as that. I think the one who understands um, that, you know, we ask for a lot of documentation. Unfortunately, we need that documentation to advise our clients. Um, and I'll tell you, most of our clients are great about it. Um, you know, we, we, we request a lot of documentation and we get it. And there's some often back and forth to make sure we have everything. And there's more questions once we review everything. Uh, that process is, I'll tell you, in my experience, the hardest process because 
many of my clients, they, they know they have a life insurance policy, but they don't have the policy or they know they have a retirement account, but they don't have the statement or they have, I've seen clients with five or six bank accounts. We need all those bank statements. So it's a very difficult process, which I fully understand, but the ones that are, are willing and able and they realize this is the best thing for me, they're committed to the process and, they, and those, those make the best clients. So us going through, you know, COVID right now and things like that, have you um, seen an uptick in people going the route of bankruptcy or is it still too early um, to see that yet? So I think we've been very, very fortunate in that our uh, bankruptcy practice has remained steady since March. But the surprising thing is that if you look at the statistics of bankruptcy filings from March till now, and you compare it to last year's filings, there's a dramatic decline. So I think you'll hear, you know, Pier One, Neiman Marcus, uh, all these big companies are filing for bankruptcy. So there, I think there's a false impression that there's a lot of bankruptcies going on. But when we get down to the mom and pop shops and just the families and individuals, those filings are dramatically down and that's shocking. And what's going to happen, all the experts are calling for a tsunami. We're sort of heading towards this cliff where the paycheck protection program, the government stimulus is holding up. But when that, you know, falls off, I mean, it's just going to be, it's going to be a, a, going to hit us like a wave. Yeah. Um, so lots of times, you know, there, there does seem to be the, the negative connotation to somebody claiming bank, bankruptcy. Um, how long, if you claim bankruptcy and, you know, you go through with it, how long will that affect you for from a, a financial credit standpoint? So a bankruptcy, the way the credit bureaus report it is seven to 10 years after the bankruptcy discharge, the court order that eliminates debt. So when I, I believe it, a chapter, it, it depends on the credit bureau that each of a little different. Right. But a chapter seven is for 10 years after the discharge. Chapter 13 is, is, is uh, seven years typically after the discharge. So you're looking at when a lender, a car lender or a mortgage lender sees a bankruptcy, that's, that's an extra risk. So because of that, the, the risk often results in a higher interest rate and more uh, less favorable terms. However, there are steps that our clients can take after bankruptcy to rebuild their credit over time. And, and we partner with, um, with a program that actually is a step-by-step guide on how to rebuild credit after bankruptcy, you, you know, get, get certain kinds of cards, get certain kinds of loans, use them a little bit, pay them off every month. And really after, after they're able to rebuild their credit that can dramatically impact their interest rates. So while bankruptcy certainly, it, it, it does affect the ability to get credit. It's not like it's the end of the road. It's not like there are things that our clients can do afterwards to get back on the road to financial success so that they can, um, so, be on favorable terms with their lenders and have a good credit score right. in the future. So, so again, that's another good reason why to use a professional like you, because you're not only helping them, 
get through the bankruptcy and get things discharged and kind of get them back on their feet, um, getting them back to, to their wealth, um, you're also going to help them be able to, to rebuild, you know, their credit and their financial, um, you know, their financial well-being. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if the audience wants to learn more about you and connect with you, how do they, how do they go about doing that? So the first thing I would uh, suggest doing is just Google Steiner Law Group. You can read some of our client reviews. They'll be directed to our website, steinerlawgroup.com. And you can read some of our articles on the benefits that bankruptcy can provide. You can give us a call, schedule a consultation at 410-670-7060. Or you can follow us on Twitter at Law Steiner. Facebook, Steiner Law Group LLC, um, and subscribe to our newsletter on our website as well. So you can get tips on um, how to set yourself up for financial success. Okay. Eric, I really appreciate your time uh, with us and you, you provided us with a lot of uh, great information. Um, and I think that, uh, that the listeners have definitely learned a lot today. Thanks, Gary. It's a pleasure to be here. So today our guest was Eric Steiner with Steiner Law Group, and we appreciate your time. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.